the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, uh, we have a couple of important interviews today, uh, which we will get to in just a few moments. I like to preview them for you. I also want to encourage you, visit ProAmericaReport.com, and you'll see all these great interviews there. Pass them around. Tell your friends. Uh, We'll hear uh, from a new author. He's a successful CEO type run a bunch of businesses. His name is Nick DeLulius, and he's written a book called Precipice, The Left's Campaign to Destroy America. We'll talk with him about that book, and we'll also uh, visit with our friend Ted Malik. He's got another piece out. All right, before we get to that, what do you need to know? Well, let's talk about accountability for a minute, right? Meaning who gets held accountable. And you've seen this horrendous story about the West Point uh, cadets who were on spring break, a couple of them football players, and they had an overdose. Terrible story, right? And um, you can assure that if they survive, and a couple of them I think are very close to uh, death on ventilators perhaps, uh, that they'll be held accountable uh, for um, the rules, right? Now, the one question is, I think West Point changed their honor code, but I, th- I got to think that if you're doing drugs, you're going to be in trouble at West Point. So you can imagine that they're going to be held accountable. But you know what? It's not to excuse their behavior. I would think it would be better to go on uh, spring break and, say, drink some beer in Florida uh, and not do drugs. But you know what? It looks like it was fentanyl. They, got, they bought cocaine, and it was laced with fentanyl. Because cocaine will sometimes kill you. See Lenny Bias, the famous University of Maryland uh, basketball player who was drafted by the Boston uh, Celtics and died, I think, the next day or the night of because cocaine sent his heart um, uh, over the edge. But in general, cocaine is not deadly. It may be damaging. It may be terrible. You shouldn't do it. But when it's laced with fentanyl, it kills people. Do you know where fentanyl comes from? We've talked about this a hundred times. It comes from China. Talking about a thousand times. The Chinese either send in fentanyl, they used to send it by mail, or they send the components for fentanyl down to the border. They all go through the border, the southern border, and the cartels put it together. So who benefits from West Point cadets dying or overdosing close to death? Well, the cartels, which are Mexican cartels are making money, and China, the communist regime. We know that. And no one's willing to stop China from doing it. We're willing to fight a war, it looks like, over the Ukraine. We're not willing to stop the killing of American uh, young people in, uh, from fentanyl. And we're not willing to secure the border. Who's being held accountable for that? The West Point guys' lives are ruined, I suspect. Who's going to be held accountable? Which brings me to the greatest example, the greatest failure of accountability in our recent memory. And I hope it catches your attention. I hope it catches your imagination. And that is... On Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern time, there will be a hearing in the U.S. Congress and the hearing will have experts together in one room and the hearing will talk about whether it's appropriate for members of Congress to trade individual stocks and whether that's not whether it's appropriate, inappropriate. 
Because we have examples of members of Congress, both Senate and House, making lots of money by knowing what's coming. Now, you can wish it were different, but the simple fact is the world revolves around Washington, D.C. The power of America, the influence of America, unfortunately, the, the size of the federal government is too big. All of that is true. And insofar as markets react to news and in, in real time, right? I remember I told this story a hundred times if I've told it once. I was campaigning in 2010 and a guy came up to me and he said, I always supported the Democrat in this district. Previously, it was Dick Gephardt. And in that, that time it was Carnahan. He said, I always supported the Democrat in this district until the early 1990s. He said, when I started to get uh, by fax the record of the votes of Gephardt. He said, before that, I never had them in, in time. You know, they'd publish them in the newspaper a few weeks later, a few days later in the record. You could hide what you were doing in Washington. Not anymore, in real time. In real time, the impact of something, having a hearing, holding a press conference, that has an impact on the world and world markets. So if you're someone in Congress, if you're a member of Congress or a senior staffer who knows what's coming next is X announcement or Y announcement, you know what you can do? You can trade on the market. You can trade on that information. Is that fair? Is that right? It's not fair. Is it right? It's not right. But is it banned right now? It's not. If you do it in, in Congress, if you're a congressman, you're allowed to do it. And so they're going to have a hearing. Imagine you say, well, wait, if they've been doing it for all this while, why do they want to change it? They don't want to change it. I don't think. But they know that it's such bad press. They know that when you say drain the swamp, you think to yourself, because they're making money on insider information, insider trading. That's easy, right? And so even Democrats who know this is what Pelosi and everybody, that what they've all done, wants to change that. No, no, let me get that right. They want to look like they care about it. They want to look like it matters. So who's going to be held accountable? The West Point cadets for breaking the law. You bet. Who's going to not be held accountable? The Chinese regime, the cartels, not held accountable. Who's going to be held accountable for massive inflation? The American people are paying a tax on everything they buy. Who's going to be paying the price for the increase in the cost of fuel? Every American, every normal American. I mean, every American, actually, but all of us. But inflation, inflation, especially. You know, one of the ways to hedge on inflation is to own property, real property. You know who can afford to own real property? (laughs) People that already have lots of money and have lots of property. The rich get richer. So who's going to be held accountable on all these fronts is we the people. And in the capital, in the salons of power, I always remember if you watch that movie, the movie, I didn't read the books. I didn't like the books as much. I I mean, I I tried to read The Hunger Games, the original book. It was called The Hunger Games. And then there was two more, I think. I just never got it. It wasn't my cup of tea. My wife read them all. My kids read them all, I think, or some of my kids read them. I just never liked the books. But I watched that first movie. And I remember when they were getting on the train to go from the districts into the capital. And you saw the districts were impoverished and they had little and they were, you know, this one was the the, uh, the wheat producing area. And this one was the, it looked like West Virginia had been the coal mining or whatever. And they all had, they all had less. Some of them were abjectly poor. But when they got closer to the capital, the capital was gleaming and shining. And everyone was like, wow, that's how it is right now in this country. If you're part of the capital class, 
the establishment class, you can do what? You can get – you'll get paid. They got a pay raise for uh, – I think it was a spending increase, pay raise. I'm not sure it was a direct pay raise. may have been office staff pay raise uh, – office staff increase in one of the recent budgets Pelosi got through. And you'll be able to do insider trading and no, you will not be held accountable. You'll have a pension that's gold-plated and you will not be held accountable. You may be spending our Social Security into inflationary things, but you know what? They'll take care of your pension. It's extraordinary. And it's one of the reasons why no matter what you say, no matter what people tell me, they say, well, this election is going to be this way or that way. I can tell you this election in the fall is a drain-the-swamp election. I mean, drain-the-swamp is the theme. From start to finish, people are going to want to see the swamp drained and if I was an incumbent of either party, I'd be nervous. If I was an incumbent Democrat, I'd be really nervous because you got to stick. You're stuck with uh, being in power in all three, uh, in 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 both in the two big branches, uh, the executive as well as the the, uh, the legislative, and all three sort of. Uh, publicly recognized political branches or political uh, levers, the White House and the House and Senate. You got that on you. But you also have the swamp, the stench of the swamp. People are beside themselves. And we're going to have a hearing. Nancy Bush is going to have a hearing, a kabuki theater hearing where people will. And you know what they'll testify to? There will be people testifying and they'll say, well, the information is not. It's publicly available. If you were active and paying attention, you could just as well see whatever's going to happen and you could do it. Normal people have jobs. Normal people have lives. Normal people aren't in the swamp seeing what's happening. And don't lie to me. You know they're tipping each other off. So Kabuki Theater coming. No real change is happening until we drain the swamp. That's the question. But meanwhile, we'll be mourning the West Point graduates and their families will be devastated not only by the loss and the injury, but by the fact that they won't be at the West Point anymore. And the Chinese will go free. The Chinese communists will get away with it. The cartels will get away with it, make money. And we'll be watching, you know, we'll be saying to ourselves as inflation goes through the roof, man, I wish things were different. And the swamp swamps on. It goes on and on and on. All right. We're going to take a break. By the way, later on this week, I have an interview uh, with a... um, uh, a new author, uh, a couple new authors, and so I want you to check them out. One of them is named Nick DeLulius, and he's a very impressive guy. Where His book is called Precipice, and we'll talk with him. So let's take a break, everybody. When we come back, it's a couple of good interviews today, and we'll wrap things up. Please visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, to sign up for the daily email and also get these great interviews in links there. Uh, Ed Martin, be right back. <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Why my old friend Ted Malik is with us. Dr. Ted Malik, of course, is a businessman and author. He's uh, been a professor all around the world. And his newest piece uh, over, which it's really good, over at American Greatness, amgreatness.com, is uh, entitled Klaus Schwab's Tower of Babel. And then the subtitle is The European Union and Davos-style globalism is saturating the globe on all continents. Pretends to make the world a better place. It does no such thing. Welcome, Ted Malik. How are you? Good to be with you, Ed. Thanks. So, first of all, Klaus Schwab, who, I mean, we know who he is now broadly, but who is he in his career? I mean, how, how influential was he before he got to this moment? Is he somebody else's uh, stalking horse? Who, who is this guy? Well, I, I guess I should admit that I know Klaus Schwab very well. 
uh-huh. served on the board of the World Economic Forum in the late 80s and 90s, early 90s. So I have firsthand experience with him. Um, he is a, a trans-human ideologue. He sees himself as an expert Illuminati. I see him as a Dr. Evil-like character. Huh. Um, he is the founder and chairman of what's called the World Economic Forum. That forum, of course, is, hold, uh, is held every year in Davos, so sometimes it's better known as the Davos Forum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Schwab himself was born in Ravensburg in Germany in 1938 before migrating to become Swiss neutrals. His family was very involved with the Nazis. He himself was a member of the Nazi Youth Corps. I found out fairly recently that actually his um, father was involved in a major Swiss-German company that built the gas chambers hmm. for the Holocaust. Wow. Um, is, uh, is he, so he came from family money. I mean, he's not a, he's not a, a Soros like character that came out of. Oh, no, no, no. He's, he's a upper middle class, uh, engineering family. Hmm. Okay. Um, he has a uh, PhD in, um, uh, in engineering. Hmm. He started something called the uh, European economic forum on management in 1971 And he transformed it into an international foundation with global ambitions over the uh, coming decades. There's no transparency. There's no record of its doings. There's no budget. There's, you know, many tentacles. He controls it in a dictatorial kind of maniacal uh, fashion. And the organization has become the hub of all globalism, elite domination, and what more recently has been termed the Great Reset. Well, and, and a phrase that he used, and, you know, it's always dangerous to have a quote from somebody because they could have said it 40 years ago and then ch- clarified mm-hmm. it later. But here, there's a quote you have in your piece. Again, we're talking with Ted Malik, and, and it's, it's this. This is Klaus Schwab's word, quote, I believe that if managed well, the fourth industrial revolution can bring a new cultural renaissance, which makes us feel part of something much larger, larger than ourselves, a true global civilization, end quote. Now, does... When you hear that, I'm sure if we were in the room and we could ask a question, there would be a sort of dancing and, and prancing away from that. They would say, well, we don't mean complete global governance. We mean a you know global civilization, everyone working connected in some ways. Mm-hmm. This will be great. But the reality is in the period of time where he has been influential, we're talking about the expansion the muscular expansion of NATO, even after the Soviet Union's gone, the, the expansion of the EU, even in the face of failure, you know, the Brexit happens, they're still sort of pushing. Um, it, it, so his words may be able to be parsed, but the actions uh, are pretty clear. Well, I think they're far worse than what you suggest. Uh, um, Klaus Schwab is a kind of Wizard of Oz, if you want a movie character. Mm. And... Um, uh, he hates the common man and woman. He elevates his own self-righteousness and power. Uh, he believes in the global elite in places like Davos and Bilderberg and um, obviously saturating into the mainstream media and deep state. He wants to end life as we know it in the little platoons, as Burke called them. Uh, I think I could demonstrate quite candidly that um, he abhors freedom, family, and especially faith. So, is he losing or is he winning? <laughs> well, a few years ago, when I was uh, very active in European politics, I said the Davos man is dead. But it sounds like uh, he, in fact, has had something of a second <laughs> life as a result of COVID. 
right. as a result of the revival of leftism. And um, uh, frankly, um, it's uh, uh, what, what, what uh, I think uh, we could call an immunizing of the eschaton. It always ends in human suffering and death. Sin, the same sin, over and over again. And I believe that, like Nimrod's tower, I call this the Tower of Babel. Yeah. Uh, like Alexander, Cyrus's, Attila's, Napoleon's, Hitler's, Stalin's, Mao's, hopefully Putin soon. All those towers will fall, and so too will Davos. Why? Yeah. I think because global geopolitics, um, <clears throat> the projects that he has in mind, are buttressed with so-called noble reasons are utter and sheer vanities. Hmm. They're not noble at all. Right. They inevitably fall. Uh, we're talking with uh, Ted Malik again, um, um, author, uh, diplomat, uh, been the uh, CEO, professor, all these things, has this perspective, uh, knows this, knows Klaus Schwab. Um, in the short term, does it look to you like the um, consolidation of some of the globalist vision is is being effective? I mean, you mentioned Putin. Uh, some of the globalist vision is being consolidated in opposition to the cruelty of Putin. You know, we, I mean, we all, no one would say, oh, great, Putin in, in, invaded, um, you know, no one. But now we're watching this sort of consolidation, like COVID. No, no one would say, oh, great, there's a disease that's killing people. But watching the consolidation of, of, uh, of power and the vision, it feels like that's the globalists uh, on the move, right? Yeah, I think very much that's the case. Um, and they've been helped enormously uh, by the U.S. Democratic Party, particularly on its left wing, building their own modern day tower, which they've been at for, frankly, decades. Uh, the punishment in, in Europe is biblical on scale. You know, I've lived there for a decade recently. Right. And they're expanding it worldwide. Joe Biden and his advisors, his left wing advisors, are fully on board with the project of bringing it full scale to America. And... Um, that's the great fear. Uh, again, Ted Malik is our guest, and his piece is over at American Greatness. AmGreatness.com is the website. American Greatness, the great uh, blog, and and his piece is Klaus Schwab's Tower of Babel. Um, now, Ted, a little bit more of a, a little uh, some somewhat sore subject. Um, Americans are looking up and they're saying, okay, we see that the Biden vision and their party failed. We got gas prices through the roof. We've got inflation. We've got, you know, uncertainty. We're having to do, uh, you know, nuclear uh, nuclear bomb drills again because of this this present. Um, but. If the Republicans get power, forget about in the presidency in 2024, in 2022, I'm out in the swamp. I'm watching the swamp buy up real estate of the Republican leadership. In other words, the lobbyists say, well, in case we're going to lose, we got to go influence these guys and gals in power. And, and they're just as they're just as likely because the globalist vision in, is is uh, particularly seductive to, to big business and multinational corporations and big spending and big power. And so will the do you see anything in the Republicans sensibility, meaning the leadership of the Republican Party that understands the moment we're in? Not nearly enough, but there are some glimpses of hope. There are some senators, we've named them before on your yeah. show, yep. who have the national conservative vision. There are some followers of Trump in Congress, Jim Jordan and others, Steve Scalise, who have given the opportunity, could turn and right this ship. On the other hand, there are just old-fashioned rhinos 
old crows and people who are cronies, and I fear that if they're put back into power, we'll have the same old, what I called, grand old establishment. And that's what we have to fight against. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, uh, Ted Malik, as always, thank you for your piece. Klaus Schwab's Tower of Babel uh, over at American Greatness. I'll put it up on social media and uh, we've got to take a break. It's Ed Martin here. on. And I, I did yeah. want to tell you, because I always tease you. Yeah. My next article. Oh, which good. I'm finishing, <laughs> right. As we speak, it's yeah. called The New Mark of the Beast. Oh, wow. All right. Oh, that's so I'm good. on to the biblical themes. I think you're, this is a Lenten. This is a uh, Lenten. Uh, there's a Lenten uh, a, the purging here. That's great. All right. Well, we'll look forward to talking with you as soon as that posts up. Uh, Ted Malik, everybody. Uh, thanks, Ted. I appreciate it. All right. We'll take a break, everybody. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And our next guest, I have his book. And the book is actually out in just, uh, I don't know, two two weeks or so. It's out. It's uh, called Precipice. That's the paperback, by the way, which is what they sent me, which is great. And uh, it's Nick Delulius. I just asked him, though I wouldn't want to butcher his name, and he was teasing me. Uh, and the book is, it's fantastic because it's in this... Um, tradition in my opinion uh nick of the stuff that like david horowitz has done where you name what's happening and by naming it and describing it it kind of makes it clear you you feel we all feel what's happening around us uh and we wonder and we kind of like how do we and and by naming it and this is a book uh published by the way by one of my favorites republic book publishers and uh, nick nick delulius is himself which is one of the great advantages he's an engineer I tell people engineers are always, you know, smart. Now he happens to have been an attorney that dumbed down his uh, intellect there, <laughs> but uh, and he's run a number of public energy companies, been involved in energy. And uh, welcome to the program, Nick. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Ed. So, bef- how you know, precipice—a great title, by the way. The late Phyllis Schlafly, my boss, used to say, uh, "Half of a, half of a book is its title." Precipice: The Left's campaign is to, to campaign to destroy America. Um, do you think? How far along are we? <laughs> How far along are we? You know, unfortunately, I think uh, we're, we're pretty far along the path. And I think this is something, you know, you brought up sort of at the intro, how I came about this, where we saw these independent dots out there, these data points, and we saw them for what they were, but we were looking at them compartmentalized as separate, distinct entities. But I think one of the themes of the book is these are actually all interrelated. These individual data points are interrelated. And it really speaks to your, your question, which is when you cumulatively look at them and you look at what the balance is doing with respect to call it the value creators versus value appropriators, um, things have, have reached not just perhaps the precipice, but the tipping point, uh, to use another sort of popular right. Um, term, right. where um, the scales have shifted. And at some point, right, you reach a critical mass and that has some serious consequences and implications, not just for economies, but for societies. Uh, we're talking with uh, Dick, Dick, Nick Delulius uh, about his book Precipice uh, uh, out from uh, Republic Book Publishers. Uh, one of the um, one of the aspects of modern society that I often describe, Nick, on the program is that um, the, the the cancel culture has a very insidious effect 
uh, in lots of ways. One is that you just don't want to raise your voice because uh, you just don't want to, you know, you don't want the cost of being criticized and you just want to get around with going on with your life. But that would be one thing. I, self-censorship is what we, we often, you know, refer to. I have often said, and this is something I see in your book that trying to address. The other part of this is that it makes people decide not to do something because they're frozen is sort of inertia a body at rest stays at rest and so if you're saying you know i don't want to say anything i don't really want to have to deal with my mother-in-law i don't want to say anything i don't want to leave my guy at work my colleague at work you and and slowly it becomes a sort of contagion and your book talks about you've got to have doers the whole american you know deal is we're doers and I, it feels like a, a lot of doing is being held back because of the dynamic, the, the, the data points you describe. Yeah, I think for sure. Um, it's almost similar to what you see with regulation. Um, regulations that become subjective in nature, where the regulator is free to interpret uh, what the intent was of the statute itself, right? That freezes, that stifles investment. Everybody yeah. knows that. We've talked about that for some time. What you're describing when it comes to things like cancel culture is sort of a moral equivalent of that regulation, not with respect to capital investment, but with respect to free thought and right. free speech and innovation and ingenuity. And unfortunately, what historically has been some of those centers of innovation and ingenuity, i.e. academia and elite academia, has also been sort of where you know this, this concept has sprung from. And what used to be with respect to academia being the marketplace of ideas when you looked at those ivory towers – it's now more of like the minarets of intolerance, right? Where you have to think a certain way, you must say certain things. And if, if you want to be a free thinker, if you want to debate in public discourse on, on issues, even some of them very technical in nature, very science-based, um, rational-based, um, mm. you're facing increasing resistance to, to doing so. And that's going to have, again, some serious follow-on consequences and impacts on, on just economies as well as societies. Uh, again, the book is called Precipice, the Left's Campaign to Destroy America. Nick DeLulis is the author. He's an engineer, a lawyer, a successful businessman, ran companies. His only flaw, as far as I can see, Nick, is um, a Pittsburgh Pirates fan, as a St. Louis Cardinals fan. Uh, this is deeply offensive, but we'll come back to that maybe off the air, Nick. And, and more importantly, the Cardinals open when they finally got this stupid lockout done. They open in Pittsburgh. So uh, I don't know if you're going to if you go to that game, but if the QBLC, Yachty's last, uh, probably last one of the last we, uh, visits to Pittsburgh. But let me get back to the book, Precipice, The Left's Campaign to Destroy America. See how I cut off his chance to try to defend Pittsburgh Pirates. Um, so in the book, I, I, one of the things I like is you name these sort of, again, it, naming things makes it clear for what we're feeling. It doesn't make it perfect, right? And one of the things you do in here is you talk about uh, creators. You talk about enablers. You use these terms servers, and they're actually capitalized. And one of them is the leech. Now, my wife has said for years, um, she wanted me to write a book that was, uh, the title was, um, uh, who's going to push, who's going to uh, push the uh, cart when we're all in the cart? You know, the idea that, you know, yeah, we're going to carry, but we're all in the cart. The leech, the problem with the class of the leech, as you describe it, it feels like, maybe I'll be true, that it's too many of us. I mean, lots of us that say we're not in the leech category end up in the leech category, whether it's because of uh, public schools, because of reliance on uh, Social Security or Medicare. It, it feels like a bigger class than almost any other one. Well, increasingly, um, you've seen a couple of trends that have, have led to, to what you're describing. Um, one is, you know, it's always been the case that the creators of value, the enablers that let the creators get into position to do what they do, the servers, right? Those segments 
um, one builds upon the other, and cumulatively, that that is the the value creators within within an economy, within a society. Right. But with respect to the, the leech and what's going on there, the, the issue has been one where increasingly over, and this isn't something that happened over years, this is something that happened over decades, starting probably with Woodrow Wilson uh, back in, in the early turn of the century after 1900. Uh, you've seen now growing portions of our economy, some of it instituted and wired via regulation, some of it with very altruistic goals to begin with that really nobody could be against, but they, they lead it to unintended or in some instances intended consequences. This segment of our economy, there's more and more pieces of it, portions of it that are basically not creating value as much as they are focused on reappropriating or consuming or taking a cut of that stream of value creation. And when that's not a huge piece of what's going on in an economy, it's not all that big of a deal. It's an inefficiency, but it's it's something that you can easily sort of shoulder and, and continue on with. But when it becomes a bigger and bigger piece, at some point, the math doesn't work, right? And it just doesn't play out to where the value creation is being able to sustain all these other things that are relying or feeding off of it uh, through, again, being a middleman or taking a piece of or a cut of or reappropriating uh, redesignating that that type of activity. Uh, Nick DeLulis is our guest. And again, his book is from Republic Book Publishers, uh, Precipice, uh, The Left's Campaign to Destroy America. Um, Nick, you've been an engineer. You know, when you've, you're by training, you picked up a law degree. I think uh, by count, you had have, have had and run five public energy companies. I think that was in your bio. Um, you've seen it all at this point. You know, you've got a, a wife and children, all um, born and raised in Pittsburgh, seen Pittsburgh shift. You know, whether it's um, you know the the steel industry, all these things. What's the path forward? You know, when you when you're or maybe say it differently in the book, you talk about some of the ways to make things uh, work better. But what's likely to happen? What what do you see possible? And now we're in a crisis where inflation's way up. Energy costs are way up. What's the best? You know, what what's our best path forward that that's that could and, and may happen? What do you want to see happen? Yeah, my concern is that the path forward is very different than what's actually going to happen. And. You're right. Today, you look at supply chain issues, you look at inflation uh, stoking and raging across all these different baskets that make up uh, sort of the cost of living. You look at the work ethic and what's happened uh, coming off of pandemic and how that was handled. And then last but not least, I think the biggest uh, sort of exemplar out there today is with respect to energy policy and how that impacts geopolitics and how energy security equals national security or lack thereof equals national insecurity. We've got this, this growing list of data points and sort of facts or results that are telling us we're definitely on the wrong path because of this phenomenon that's that summarized in the book. Now, what should we do in, in lieu of that? I think it's pretty basic. I think, you know, you look at the, the founding of our republic, it goes back to a couple basic uh, sort of assumptions. One is, you know, the individual reigns supreme. And you know, freedom isn't something that's granted from the top down via government. There's, there's an inherent set of freedom that the individual enjoys. And then there are specific sort of exceptions to that with respect to what government can do or not do. That's that's the fundamental basis for the Constitution. So I think sort of resetting the primacy of the individual and individual rights, that's that's point number one. Um, point number two or, or tactic number two would be going back to just the simple math of fiscal as in like monetary fiscal policy responsibility. Right. If we in our right. homes or we in our small businesses have what I call the cigar box model of finance, where cash goes into the cigar box and then you can only have cash going out that doesn't exceed that, 
If we took that approach to government and how we're investing our tax dollars, I think that would go a long way as well. So in some ways, I think from an individual rights perspective, being you know, as liberal as we can be to respect the individual, but from a fiscal responsibility perspective, going back to the fundamentals that uh, a lot of conservative thought is based upon where you don't spend more than you have, uh, those two things would go a long way towards increasing attention and appreciation for those creators, enablers, and servers of free enterprise, of value creation, right? And finding ways to not necessarily turn them loose, but to stop holding them back. And I think if we just at a minimum stop holding them back, right. I think things definitely turn for the better, which isn't uh, all that big of a lift when you think about it. No, I, I think that's right. It's just a question. And then we move to the politics of it. Now, let me uh, again, the book is Precipice uh, by Nick Dick, Nick Delulius. Boy, I'm, I'm making a mess of that, uh, Nick. And uh, Republic Book Publishers, our great uh, friends are publishing this one, too. Uh, Yes, except you were probably running one of those companies when was it Obama's administration? They said you didn't build that. And the dynamic became, you know, oh, well, we've had the most extraordinary 150 years of development ever in any uh, industrialized nation in America, in large part because the patent system and the rule of law and the personal property and a sense that the markets, free markets with, you know, with some regulation, meaning taxes mostly and others would even out, we take care of each other. And yet there's this sort of resentment. And in the, in, again, in here, in your book, you, you, you talk about the leeches. I mean, the word itself, obviously obviously connotes something. Um, but uh, the, the, the uh, you know, young people and our education system, have we, you know, we almost have to, uh, well, let me pause. Up by your bootstraps was something that was intentionally done. Norman Vincent Peale was one of the large promoters of it. And it was this, you know, Horatio Alger vision. We'll all pull ourselves up. We can all do it. Now it's, I want to take a piece of Nick's success because we have to even things out. That's not only uh, pervasive and destructive, it feels like it's on the march. It's definitely on the march. And again, this goes back to Woodrow Wilson, Franklin Roosevelt, uh, the Great Society, President Obama, who, who you mentioned. Um, in the end, right, to be taken care of, I think, by something like the state or government, in the end is to be controlled. There's always going to be that string that's attached, that heavy price that you're going to pay. And it creates a form of what I consider to be moral socialism. It's never a good thing. So when you look at sort of examples, and you mentioned my, my experience in the energy space, this whole natural gas revolution, the shale revolution, and what's happened with the United States and energy independence over the past 20 years, all of that innovation, all of that ingenuity was because of risk-taking, because of capitalism, because of free markets, because of our patent system, because of all those things that you mentioned. And not only was it not done because of government support, it was done in spite of government mm -hmm. resistance right. to it. Right. So again, if we just simply get out of the way, right? But that you know, get out of the way is code for ceding power, right. ceding authority, which is going to be a not so easy thing. Simple concept, but a not so easy thing. <laughs> yeah. I think you know our future is very bright, but we've seen examples, you know, as recently as to today and here and now with energy issues in the United States, and then you know what the implications are in terms of how we get into these. These situations with Ukraine and Russia and how we're begging Iran for oil and we're begging Saudi and we're begging, you know, China for rare earth elements to manufacture things offshore with, with wind and solar. It, it creates whenever you get into this this issue of, of control in government, it never seems to turn out for the better.
Well, and, and, and more say more point, same thing. We're, we're saying the same thing. Once the power centralizes, it's very unlikely. You know, I used to say when George W. Bush won, we didn't need a better EPA director. We needed an EPA director who wanted to get rid of power. And every time it happens, you say, well, we're going to get one who's really good for us. Well, what we really need is people to give up power, which is a harder challenge. Uh, I have to run, Nick. We're out of time. Uh, Nick Delulius is the author, Precipice, The Left's Campaign to Destroy America. Uh, very helpful. I'm glad you wrote it, Nick. And I'm I hope I wish you great success and we'll have you back on again on some of these great topics. I'll be watching the Cardinals and Yachty. (laughs) There you go. Managed to make a Cardinals (laughs) fan seem like the victim here despite uh, the Pirates recent woes. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate it, Nick. Take care. Uh, We'll take a break, everybody, and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. The naive conservative may believe that trigger warnings and misinformation pop-ups on social media are not a true threat to the public discourse. After all, though they may be annoying, you can always close out of them. Be careful not to fall victim to this short-sighted way of thinking. These warnings will not appease the hardline forces of the left. Twitter and Facebook found that only a complete removal of President Donald Trump from their platforms would mollify his opponents. And even that wasn't enough, as the large social media platforms have gone far beyond Trump's postings in censoring free speech. Supposedly protecting public health from COVID-19 was initially the pretext. But as Joe Rogan pointed out when the misinformation wonks came for him on Spotify... Many of the things we thought of as misinformation just a short while ago are now accepted as fact. Rogan knows what he's talking about. The man-made origin of COVID, for example, was considered misinformation. But it's since been accepted by Dr. Fauci and others as possibly or even probably true. Predictably, the censorship has gone beyond COVID and now extends to merely questioning the integrity of an election. Joe Biden can publicly declare the upcoming midterm elections to be illegitimate, as he recently did, unless his favorite election bill is enacted. But he faces no censorship for his unfounded predictions that voting rights are at stake. But when a conservative casts doubt about the validity of the last election, the social media giants go into instant battle mode to censor those opinions. Conservative congressmen are silenced by big tech, while leftist politicians can post their content seemingly without any interference. There's a reason why our founding fathers reserved the very first part of the Bill of Rights for issues dealing with the dissemination of information. These wise men understood that a government by the people and for the people requires that the people have unrestricted access to information. If powerful forces can control what information the public has access to, they can control the destiny of our nation. Don't ignore the issue of online censorship. The stakes are far too high. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. On college campuses and social media, in boardrooms and the public square, conservative voices are being silenced. What happened to free speech or to the First Amendment? At phyllisschlafly.com, we're still listening. So let us hear from you at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for joining us and come back again next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. (laughs) 
Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, we've got to wrap things up, but I have a what you need to do today, okay? What you need to do right now, I want you to go and I want you to, uh, if you can find time, go and watch the hearing, the Pelosi hearing on stock trading in Congress, also known as the insider trading hearing. Well, they call it something else. They call it examining stock trading reforms in Congress. 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time, everywhere in between, on Wednesday, March 16th. Please go to cha.house.gov, Committee on House Administration, cha.house.gov, at 2 p.m. East Coast Time on Wednesday, March 16th, and watch this stupid hearing and see what frauds they are, because they should ban individual stock trading by members of Congress. It should be pretty obvious, but we'll see what they do. CHA.house.gov. Remember, this is a hearing. The notice of hearing is coming from the Pelosi-led Congress because why? She makes tons of money off the stock market and her husband does. But the reason why is because Democrats are desperate to try to change the trend line and they know drain the swamp is what we're all feeling. So tune in and watch, first of all, Kabuki Theater. It will sound like they're serious. And here's what you can know. Take away. It will do nothing. They will pass nothing. They will actually get nothing done. Again, cha.house.gov at 2 p.m. East Coast time, Wednesday, March 16th. Tune in for the Kabuki Theater fraudulent hearing on the, the members of Congress who are making money off of their knowledge while you and I are paying higher and higher prices due to inflation. All right, that's what you need to do. It's Ed Martin. Thank you, Noah Dingley, our producer, uh, Joanna Spilger, our associate producer, and you for listening. Be back tomorrow. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.